Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. I'm Art Regner. This is episode 54. Uh, we are in Grand Rapids. As I said, we're featuring the Griffins for the uh, next, uh, like, three or four, maybe five podcasts here. And it gives me great pleasure to uh, introduce Eric Tangrady, alternate captain, left wing for the Griffins. Uh, he is... Uh, uh, an American from Philadelphia, so we're going to get into uh, uh, a few other sports, I think, as well. But let me bring in the alternate captain for the Griffins, Eric Tangrady. Eric, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it, and I'm really looking forward to talking to you. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, my uh, my path is a little unique compared to other other players, so I consider myself a journeyman and uh, grew up American, played a lot of hockey in Philly, but also played in the OHL in Canada. So my path is very similar to some Canadians, but uh, I'm still an American at heart. Well, you know, when I grew up, you know, and, and I talked to Brian Mahoney Wilson uh, on a previous podcast, the uh, goaltending uh, uh, development coach here for, for the Detroit organization, but based here in Grand Rapids. I know you know Brian, even though you're not a goalie. Uh, but, um, you know, we always grew up with the three M's, Michigan, Massachusetts, in Minnesota as far as producing American NHL caliber players. You're from Philadelphia. I never equated, even though I know the Flyers are huge and big, and I, you know, I watch the Goldbergs, and I know one of their characters is a huge Flyers fan, but I, I guess my, my point being is, is that how does a kid from Philly end up in the NHL where you would think that your avenue to professional sports would be one of a, a different sport than hockey? Yeah, um, you know, I grew up to a, a postal worker and a waitress, and um, my dad was athletic in high school, um, never went to college, never, um, you know, excelled at a high level in sports. So for me, I think I just got the athletic genes of my both my parents combined. My uncle was a great basketball player, and uh, for me, I started off in floor hockey in Philadelphia, and someone said to my dad, try the kid on some rollerblades, and I started playing roller hockey and was a good baseball player as well. And Someone said to him, try him on skates. I did figure skating when I was young, and that kind of um, is where my hockey career started. It, it didn't really start with my, you know, my dad or anybody being an ex-hockey player of any sort. It was just me being a good athlete and excelling at hockey. And, and from there, we just tried to do whatever we could to, to get, get me better. I did figure skating from six to nine to learn to skate. Um, and started really low playing um, rec league hockey, nothing serious, and it just seemed like there was a, a plan for me, someone helping my dad out along the way, getting me onto better teams and just being uh, around the right people. Well, it's, I would imagine, were, was there pressure on you maybe from your buddies or other friends who didn't gravitate to this sport to say, look, you know, you're a good baseball player. Man, look, at you're six foot four. You should, you should play football. I mean, I, I, were people thinking, God, you're out of your mind to try hockey? Yeah, a lot of people, and it was just so unique. I grew up in a little t uh, town of Roxborough in Philadelphia, and we used to have a Wednesday night roller hockey league where um, you'd have 30-year-old men going toe-to-toe, -to -toe hitting. It wasn't a hitting league, but you know, I was 13, 14 years old dominating that roller hockey league, and um, it, it just seemed to bring out a competitive drive in me, and obviously being a big kid, uh, I was always playing a, a level up, and I, I don't know if that turned me into a man sooner than later, and uh, it just gave me this drive to, to just be a force every time I played and I think my first year of AAA hockey I played uh, a year up and I was probably the most physical player on the ice and that kind of really opened eyes to other people that hey man this kid can, can, can advance in, in hockey so when I was um, a sophomore in high school we started to look hey maybe division one college might be a, the thing to do I don't know and my dad had no clue we were just taking advice from other people and 
Uh, I think where my career really turned is uh, Ed Hospitar was an old uh, NHL fighter. Uh, played in Philadelphia and ended up calling Philadelphia home um, after his career. And fortunately, I got cut from a, a team in Philadelphia and, and had to settle playing Fred Hospitar. And uh, being with him, that was the best thing that ever happened to me because his idea uh, as someone in Philadelphia was we got to get out of Philadelphia and play against teams in Canada, play against teams in Boston, and then let's see where we, we match up. And um, a lot of kids on our team were intimidated. We got smoked, got beat up bad a lot of games. But uh, I think that's where I excelled. And that's where um, I kind of got under the radar of the OHL, some Division One colleges. And that's where I was really able to advance my career. Well, you know, the assumption would be is that, you know, because, you know, obviously in the, in the Detroit area with Little Caesars and CompuWare and Honey Baked and I know I'm forgetting some of them, but you know there, there's hockey all over the place. You know, I can I can remember when I when I grew up, uh, uh, City of Livonia, which has turned turned out some pretty good uh, hockey players uh, in, in the NHL. Uh, you know, there were rinks. You know, there's a rink I could walk to a rink. Uh, before we moved to Livonia, there was a rink across the street. I mean, there 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 was there was availability. Um, you said your you know your poor dad. You know, you guys are going into this blind a little bit. Um, how, was it? Was there a lot of avenues for you, or were there just like a few avenues that you had to you had to pursue? Which, in a sense, really makes your story extraordinary because you had you wanted to play, but unfortunately, the opportunity. If you would have grown up in Michigan, you know, Lord only knows what you know what would have happened. Yeah, um, for me, like I said, my dad worked for the post office. He was up at three, four in the morning. Wow. Would work till one o'clock. Uh, in the afternoon, I'd get home from school at three, and unlike, uh, like you said, in Michigan, maybe some guys drive 10, 15 minutes of practice. We'd right. have to do 45 minutes to an hour and a half of traffic from the inner city of Philadelphia out to the suburbs to go practice. So it was very taxing on him. You know, I owe a lot of where I am to him. And like you said, there was probably three rinks of AAA hockey for me to play, and they were all at least an hour away. So it was a huge commitment on my dad and uh, my social life as a kid to, to try to excel at hockey. And um, I couldn't. I, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for the sacrifices of my parents, that's for sure. Right, you know, I mean, uh, you, you hear that so much, especially with hockey players, because of ice time, and let's let's be honest, this sport's expensive, oh, yeah. too. You know, I mean, you have to pay for ice time, and plus you get to throw on the equipment, and, you know, you're growing. I mean, I'm sure that you probably had to get new new pads like every other <laughs> six months at a certain point. Um, when does it click in for you? I mean, you know you have a passion for it, you know you love it. When do you think I can maybe make a living at this. Yeah, so my first year, um, I was drafted. I went to, so I'll track back. Okay. I went to the Toronto Marlies tournament at uh, 15 years old. And those familiar with hockey know that that's the mecca of hockey tournaments going into your OHL draft year. I had no idea what the OHL was. I didn't know what it, what it, what it was. Did you know where Canada was at least? Yeah, I at least knew where, uh, where Canada was. I honestly probably thought that Toronto was the only city in Canada because that's the only place I spent time playing tournaments. So we went up for a tournament for Christmas and um, like I said, Ed Hospital was our coach. He said, we're going to be doing a lot of tournaments here. I want to expose you guys to what what hockey is. Like, you think you're good at 15 year old, years old, watch these kids. And we went to that tournament. Um, I got a lot of exposure. A lot of teams come up to me and said, hey, do you want to play in the OHL? And my dad looked at me and said, well, what do you think? I said, I have no, no clue. I have no idea what this league is. Um, so I ended up getting drafted by the Belleville Bulls uh, in the sixth round and went to their summer camp. And at, at that point, a little bit nervous going in, wasn't sure where I was going to match up. And I went into camp and in the summer, the coach said, hey, you have a spot on our team if you want it. And um, 
as an underage kid going to Canada, the advice I got was take one more year, um, try to see if Division One college is something that you want to do. So I ended up doing a year of prep school at Wyoming Seminary Prep School, um, which is in Kingston, Pennsylvania. Really small independent prep school. I went up there for a year and um, really learned how to be a man there. I was in boarding school, didn't, didn't have mommy at my service right. to, to, to clean my room and make my bed. And, uh, <laughs> I did a year of prep school and, and I didn't get a ton of college looks. I was big, tall, had a lot of raw skill, but couldn't put all the pieces together. So there wasn't, you know, there wasn't scouts banging down the front door of the Tangrady house to give me a Division One scholarship. And if, if I was going to go play Division One hockey, I needed a lot of help financially to do well, so. Well, right. I mean, your mother a waitress and your dad working for the post yeah. office. I mean, hey, we've been down, everyone's been down that road, I think. Yeah. A majority of people have. Totally. So. I finished that year at prep school, went back to Belleville for camp again, and um, they brought me in for a playoff game, sold out building, um, hey, watch this guy, he's a first rounder, watch that guy, he's a first rounder. It was, it was such an eye-opening experience watching that game, and I looked at my dad, and, and uh, we kind of joke, he, he had heard it's free hockey and they take care of all your boarding and, and right. they'll give you a little college package along the way, and he said, if you want to do it, I'm all in, and I said, hey, dad, like, I think this is this is me, uh, you know. 68 games a season, treated like a pro. Um, saw what I was able to do in training camp. Thought that you know this is my draft year, and I didn't even at you know 17 years old, the year before draft, I didn't even think draft. I thought, right, man, th that that sounds really cool. But going into that camp, I was like, you know, I, I think I can play pro hockey. So I went, made the leap, and went to Belleville. And um, man, that, that's when the first day I put on that Belleville Bulls sweater in the OHL. Um, that work ethic, the energy, the vibe, seeing draft picks, it was like, hey, I think I could do this for a living. Well, you know what's interesting about that? Because, you know, at one time, Americans never played in the OHL. You know, I always, my joke always is, and I used it with Hicketts yesterday, was that, you know, until Mike Madonna went up to God only knows where, Swift Current or wherever the heck he is, it, you know, a lot of Americans, even though there were OHL teams and Windsor Spitfires have been around, I mean, people were aware of it and, and the Whalers, but you're kind of buck the system in a way because you're an American and I don't know how many Americans because you know you're, you're considerably younger than me but I don't know how many Americans were actually playing in the OHL at that time and you know and I want to ask you if like division one schools were knocking down the door would you have just gone to college or again because the OHL you're starting off a little bit younger maybe your mindset might have been and I don't know and that's why I'm asking this question is that hey if I'm gonna be a real player this is probably the proving ground for me. Yeah, at six, you know, at six foot four, at seventeen years old, the OHL was my game. That was a league that I needed to play in. But like you said, without having any direction, I probably would have settled and went to a Division One school, not even a big one. I think if someone at sixteen or seventeen would have knocked on the door and said, "Hey, we're going to give you if you verbally commit for a full ride, whether it was a small school in the country or the biggest, I probably would have accepted it and gone that route." And I don't think I would be here today because I think. I was built to be a, a junior hockey player. Just the, the, the my mentality of what what hockey was to me, and what I needed what I needed to learn was to be more consistent. And maybe playing 35 games in a season in college wouldn't have done that for me. 68 games, the grind, the bus. I think that really matured me into being the type of pro that I am today. And like you said, there weren't a lot of Americans, but the one that stood out to me was everybody in the country knew who Patrick Kane was at 
you know, 12 years old. Right, right. And he ended up going to play in London in the OHL. And, and hearing that and hearing his experiences and everything like that really made me even more excited to, to make that leap and go go play in the OHL. Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you know Canadians and Americans, especially if you grow up in Detroit, I, I, I know some Canadians hate to say this, but, you know, I, you know my joke has always been I didn't even know, you know, Canada, uh, Ontario. I thought it, Ontario was a state until I was like 10 years old or something, you know, because we were there so much. But so did, you didn't face, you know, were you tested differently or did you face, I don't know if it's bigotry or, because uh, you're an American and you're playing the Canadian game. I mean, was there an adjustment period or being an American really wasn't that big of a factor? No, I mean, I think because I played in Belleville versus maybe if I went to Plymouth or Windsor, somewhere on the right. border, it would have been different. But when I walked in that room, there wasn't 20 Canadians ready to hug me and be their best friend. It was, there's an American in this locker room taking a Canadian's job. You know, this really? is a Canadian hockey league and there's an American here ready to take our job. And I think you learn, Hockey's a business at 21, 22, 23. I learned it at 17 years old. You know, really? I was, I was in their country taking someone else's job, so I had to prove it every single day. And I got in some fights in practice. Um, there was some, a lot of growing pains early on that matured me. And um, it definitely wasn't the type of uh, league that I, I know everyone jokes that the OHL's gone soft, but um, it, was, it, was a, it was a war for a couple of months on and, and off the ice, you know, just getting comfortable. Was there a couple of... Uh... You know, I don't, not we're going to make a movie of the week, Ten Grady and you know, uh, you know Smith or something. But was there a guy who was really kind of, you know, really testing you, or was really said, "Hey, look, I don't like you being here," and then you turn out to be the best of friends or something? Is I mean, was, did that did that happen? I mean, you bonded eventually. I would. Oh, hundred percent. And I think um, for me, I was six foot four, but I didn't play a power forward game when I got there. You know, I played a skill had my tongues out, white tape, you know, it's more of a figure of speech, but um, I was really trying to be a finesse guy at six foot four, and, and for me to be the best, I needed to be in your face um, kind of grinder, and my first few weeks there, I played a really soft game, and I'll never forget Jeff Levitt, um, he's, uh, I think he's a firefighter now, but he was a 21-year-old overager there, um, one day in practice, just grabbed me and said, like, you, you're going to need to learn the hard way, and I got in his face, and he dropped his gloves, and we fought, and from that point on, we were it seemed like the second I did that in practice, everyone had a, a brand new respect for me. So I think I just needed to show them that I was willing to do whatever it took to, to fit in, and I wanted to be you know, the best player I could be. And from that point on, um, I, I created, created the best friendships of my life um, with those group of guys, but definitely the first month there were some growing pains. You're, you, you start off your first year at Belleville a little slowly, uh, but you know, you're getting used to it. You know, you're away from home for the first time. Second year, you put up 60 points in 56 games, including 24 goals. Third year, you're uh, 88 points, including 38 goals in 55 games for the Bulls. Uh, uh, you, you get drafted. Anaheim's second choice overall, 42nd. Uh, talk about that progression, because you, you know now all of a sudden, not only are you know you're on the radar of the NHL. What is it like? I mean, at that point, because if you were in college, I don't know what the rules are. Maybe maybe you know teams couldn't approach you quite because of the NCAA violations or whatever. But at Belleville, were you getting a lot of interest? Were there a lot of scouts? Were there a lot of different teams, or do they just pretty much let you play until your draft year, and then they start coming to see you? Yeah. So for me, when I was in Belleville, like I said, I was I tried to play a finesse game early on, and I struggled. I started. 
Um, I think I started on the third line there, got a good opportunity, and I just wasn't playing the right type of hockey. I was a perimeter player, wasn't getting to the hard areas. Um, I think I probably had like three points at Christmas that year, and then after Christmas, I you know really learned how to adjust my game, get to the net, get to those hard areas, and really started to play well to finish. And I think the biggest thing for me in my draft year that first season, I had 20 points in the regular season, but I had uh, eight goals, nine assists, 17 points in 15 playoff games. And I think that's why I ended up getting drafted so high. So for me, there wasn't a lot of exposure. There's the midterm rankings. You know, as, as right, a kid, right. you pay attention to what everyone's posting. And, um, you know, I was probably projected like sixth or seventh round just based off of my size and skill. And um, what I was able to do in the playoffs really shot me up the rankings. And from that point on, the exposure was, was crazy. I didn't have a lot of uh, interest when the regular season ended. But once our playoff run ended and I had that great playoff, I was flying all over the country for meetings, physicals, testing. Um, that was a really neat experience going up to the draft because I wasn't rated high enough to go to the combine. So teams kind of saw what I did in playoffs and thought that I could be kind of a hidden gem. So I was flying all over for, for private meetings just to see you know, what kind of person, how my physicals were because I wasn't a part of the combine. When you uh, draft, draft year comes, you know, you're flying all over, you're talking to all kinds of teams, did you get an inkling that Anaheim was going to be it? Were there other teams in the mix? I mean, I've talked to so many players over the years that say, well, I didn't even talk to Detroit, you know, yeah. or I thought I was going to Washington, and lo and behold, the Red Wings come out of nowhere. Is that what happened to you as well, or did you get a feeling that the Ducks really were, or back then I guess they were probably maybe in the Mighty Ducks, that they were ready to uh, to pounce on you? Yeah, honestly, I walked out of, I went to the draft two days early to do a lot of in-hotel, in-person meetings, and um, I remember walking out of my Anaheim meeting and saying to my dad, that was awful. Like, I, that was the worst meeting I've had. I just remember walking in the room, um, being nervous. I think it was my second one that day. And Brian Burke sits me down and says, hey, you have two minutes to tell me why you draft you. I should draft you. Go. And I kind of got, got choked up a little bit, but, you know, ended up saying to him, you know, I'm six foot four. Um, I have a lot of raw talent. I know I have a lot of hard work to go, but I'm going to play in the NHL. And um, he hit me with a couple other questions that I got tongue-tied on, and I walked out of there thinking he hated me. And um, he ended up drafted me, and um, I think he had made a trade in the first round to, to move up in the second, hoping that he could steal me in the second. And uh, sure enough, I was able to get him at 42, and he said, you were our guy the whole time. So it's just funny how that works. I walked out of that door thinking that was my worst meeting and ended up impressing them enough that they had uh, made a trade to move up in the second round to get me. You know, you, you're there two days before the draft, as you said. You're sitting there talking to your dad. You know, obviously, you know, you look from where you started to where you are, and you got to be feeling just great just to be there. Uh, did you sit down with him and say, this is where I think I'm going to go, or was there a team that you thought, because you didn't think it was Anaheim because it went so poorly that you were going to end up with? Um, honestly, I thought possibly Montreal was a place that I was going to go. But um, I, I didn't think I was going to go anywhere before the third round. So um, for me, it was just we went to the draft day one, which is the first round, and then they did the second round on day two Saturday. And we kind of got to our seats uh, like three, four picks into the second round, and we're just waiting like, okay, this could be a few hours. And then sure enough, 42nd overall, Anaheim selects Eric Tangrady. It was, it was honestly didn't even have enough time to process it. I was just so in so much joy and uh, so excited that – um, I, I honestly, it's like I almost like I blacked out for that moment. I right. don't really remember what happened from that point on. Uh, 
you know, kind of a personal question. I would imagine at that moment when you're drafted into the NHL, you know, was there that moment between you and your dad where it was, you know, obviously he's beaming with pride where, you know, gosh, it paid off. I mean, you know what, I, you know, you were more, maybe more happy for him because of the sacrifices he made for you than you were for yourself. Yeah, totally. I think, um, you know, when you wear your last name on your jersey, it's not just representing right. me, it represents everybody. And um, that moment I'll never forget. We kind of looked at each other and he gave me a smirk and a big hug. And, um, you know, that, that moment, I'll never forget it. It means so much to me. And he's been my biggest fan even to this day. He's always, uh, you know, looking at games and, oh, I think you could, I think you could play here, blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, he's, he, I wouldn't be where I am today. And, and that moment we shared, um, I think, was totally the moment that he knew that we fulfilled, you know, all the sacrifices that we made when we were young. You know, uh, the thing that, you know, I, 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 I love your story, number one, but, you know, we had Joe Hicketts on, who's five foot eight, who always hears about his size. And I'm thinking to myself, You've mentioned it, and I think it too. You're six foot four, and everyone's that always probably talks about your size. You know, Hicketts has a different battle, obviously, to fight because he's five foot eight. But you're six foot four. What type of uh, you know expectations were there, and did you have to grow into that body? Because obviously, being six foot four, I know how this league works. You know, you're you're a hot commodity just because you're six foot four. Yeah, totally, and that's the point I, I definitely was going to make. I think. Early on, everyone expected me to have 20 to 30 fights a season just because I was six foot four, and those were the struggles that I dealt with. That I always feel like I value myself more than just being a, a fighter. I, I think I could probably have played in the NHL for 10 years if I just fought, but that just I, I feel like I'm selling myself short as a player. I bring a whole lot more to the game. Of course, I'm physical. Of course, I'm in your face, and I will drop my gloves when the time um, is needed. But I didn't ever want to. You know, succumb to just trying to be a, a tough guy, take my wrists every night, and, and throw knuckles. So, um, for me, I always struggle with that. Teams, certain organizations, teams um, wanting me to just get engaged every single game, and I don't think that's the type of player that I am. You drafted by Anaheim. You start the NHL camp. You know, we always hear you know the separation each and each and every level you go. Usually, it's speed, uh, but. You knew what type of player you were. You knew what type of player you wanted to be. Uh, what was the adjustment like to uh, to NHL uh, professional hockey life as opposed to the OHL? Oh, it was huge. I was 18 years old, and I I never had a personal trainer till I till I was drafted. I didn't know the real sacrifices it took because, like I said, being from Philadelphia, I didn't have that other pro to train with to show me what it what, what it took. So going into my first training camp, you know, we would practice, have a team workout, and then I see Getzloff, Perry hop on the bike for 40, 50 minutes after all that's done, and I'm looking to go home and have a nap for three hours. So <laughs> I didn't really know what it took physically away from, you know, the rink to, to be a pro, and I learned so much in those camps, and it also was humbling because, yeah, you're a second rounder, you're you thinking you could just jump right in and be an impact, but when I went to my first camp and I got back to junior, I just knew how far I really was, and I had to put in some really, really strong summers to get adjusted to becoming a pro. Were there some NHL players that you gravitated to that, you know, sort of like a mentor, somebody that helped you out along the way, whether or not, you know, you had, you know, Ryan Getzlaff's phone number or something, you know, during the course of the, your junior season, just get, hey, Ryan, you know, this, I'm going through kind of this, or, or is it more, you know, and I'm asking this because I just don't know, obviously, in fans, but 
you know, is there, you're a duck, but you're not playing for them, but is there still kind of a camaraderie where some of these fellows are approachable for you? Yeah, I, I think for me the best part was I played with Matt Bolesky for the Belleville Bulls, oh. and he was drafted by Anaheim the year before me. So he was able to be someone who, he did everything a year before I did. He went to the AHL, went pro a year before me, did things always one year before, and I could always pick his brain on, you know, what's this adjustment, what's that, what what is... You know what is he doing in the gym in Belleville in his last year junior? Um, he was the kind of the guy I looked up to to try and elevate me to to try to get a, a little bit of a fast track to pro hockey. And uh, my last year in junior ended up being traded at the trade deadline to Pittsburgh. It was uh, me and Chris Kunitz for Ryan Whitney that went to Pittsburgh. <laughs> so um, I was able to kind of lose. I lost that bond along the way and had to start fresh all over again in Pittsburgh. And um, once I got there, you realize why the Penguins are an elite organization. They had, you know, guys. Tom Fitzgerald was a head of, um, I think, uh, head of prospects in a sense. So there was always avenues there, people you could call to make sure you were uh, on par with where you needed to be going into camp. When you get traded, you know, you're, you you probably got you know, a guy that only knows what they were wearing purple back then still. But you got all the duck stuff and the logo, and, you know, you're feeling good about yourself. And uh, uh, you get traded. And I know, you know, you've been traded now a number of times in, in, in your career. Do you – what's that like? Do you feel, God, I, you know, I let this organization down or somebody wants me? Or is it a mixture of both? Yeah, I think instantly uh, for Anaheim – Maybe just being in Belleville, I didn't understand how big the Anaheim market was, but there wasn't a lot of noise right. for the prospects. There wasn't a lot of hype. How does this guy right. doing? How's that guy doing? So for me, it was I had a cool draft photo. I went to a couple camps, and that was that. But the second I got traded to Pittsburgh, it was it was the most overwhelming uh, thing. I just remember my Facebook going from um, you know like five requests from kids from high school to like a thousand requests in 24 hours. Wow. People, Penns fans that just wanted to know more about me, learn who I was, get a in contact with my social media so the, the support for the penguins and getting traded i just felt like i was so um like so wanted at, at that point i was a second rounder which is a high pick but when i got traded to pittsburgh you know it was almost like in my mind i turned into a, the top prospect there i was supposed to be crosby's next line mate in the future so there was a ton of buzz and a ton of hype for me the second i got traded and that was very overwhelming now, I guess you're happy because, you know, you're thinking, okay, you, you're going to a good organization, you're a Pennsylvania guy, but you're going to Pittsburgh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean that, had, that would be like, you know, somebody from Detroit going to, uh, you know, Cleveland or something, you know, it's a city that they have a big rivalry with or something, you know. I mean, what was, I, I mean, I, I know you're happy, I know you want to play, but you're going, God, of all places, Pittsburgh? Or? Yeah, I remember calling my dad and uh, he said, I said, hey, Dad, I got traded to Pittsburgh. He just said, Pittsburgh, and instead of being like, that's great, so um, it's always the ongoing joke we have in the family, you know, it, uh, I remember playing my first game in Philly with the Penguins, everybody wore Penguins stuff underneath their Flyers shirts because they were scared of the crowd, but uh, it, uh, it was really funny how that all worked out, you know, I remember uh, being a huge Flyers fan when I was young and watching uh, the five overtime game when Keith Primo scored, and um, it was there were so many great rivalries with the Penguins and Flyers that it, it made me kind of chuckle right away when I got traded to the Penguins. You know, you, you go there, you, you know, your expectation levels are high. You just said Sidney Crosby's next line mate, certainly, even though he is not well-liked in Detroit, Sidney Crosby, uh, at all. Uh, but, uh, which I think he kind of 
enjoys, you know, I would imagine. Um, I, I know, you know, fellow, you know, media people who know him and just think he's a fantastic person. Uh, what was it like? What's Sid, playing with Sid the Kid and, you know, you're sitting there going, you know, I thought I was pretty good, but I, this guy, is he even human, you know? Yeah, and I think the most thing that, the most impressive thing about him is his practice habits. There are some days you play a game and your body feels like you were in a car accident right. and the next day it's hard to get up for practice. He is the best player in practice every single day and that's the most impressive thing about him. And I just remember my first training camp um, when I was turning pro to play in the AHL, I was on a line with Crosby and, uh, and Kunitz, and I just remember skating up and down the wing with my stick on the ice, not doing anything fancy, and I might have had seven grade-A scoring opportunities that game. That's how good of a player he is, that he makes everybody around him elite. You know, were there certain times when, during your, your, your career, where, uh, you know, I know someone's, you know, like, you know, just giving you the business or something like that, and you say to him, because you told me this before we started this, hey, I'm the second person from Philadelphia to ever make an NHL. <laughs> I mean, hey, I, you know, I, I've got a little pedigree, too. Yeah, no, I, I've been, uh, my career, there's been so many ups and downs at this point. I've been so humbled by everything. But when I was younger, I kind of walked around Philly like I thought I was a big deal. And, uh, it I is pretty got, cool, though, yeah, to be the second is, player. I mean, It is pretty neat from the inner city uh, to be the second player ever to be uh, in the NHL is a huge accomplishment, especially in a city that big. So right. um, it's something I'm definitely proud of, and uh, I do a lot of stuff back in the community. And uh, I think where I'm from, where I grew up, it's a very blue-collar town, and people respect um, the accomplishments that I've had a whole lot because of that. You know, you said something interesting, and, and we've all experienced it. You know, the old joke is, you know, the Eagles fans throwing snowballs at Santa. Uh, what, the Philly sports mindset, I know Detroit's an intense town. I understand that. You know, I grew up here. I'm a huge Detroit sports fan, obviously. But what is it about Philadelphia? I mean, it, 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 you know, is the reputation... Did, have they earned their reputation as just being, you know, let's be honest, just crazy? Yeah, well, what I try to tell people is I think every sports city is hungry and every sports city has fans the exact same as Philadelphia, but other cities haven't been deprived of championships like Philadelphia has. The fans there are so passionate. Um, you know, you have, you have blue-collar people spending half their savings just to have season tickets to events, and they feel like they're just as entitled to that team as anybody else. And when you, uh, you know, when guys go out there and, and they feel like aren't given the best effort or they've underachieved, they let you know. And I, I don't think they're any different than any other city. They just expect more out of their teams. And they've just been so deprived of championships. That's what gives them their edge and, and makes them hungry. Detroit Lions, one playoff win in 60 some odd years. Uh, the only team that has been around since the Super Bowl began that's never played in it. Uh, I know that Philadelphia, you know, they, their, their uh, drought was almost as long as Detroit's as far as winning a championship. Is there anything you can say to long-suffering Lions fans, any solace, anything besides it'll eventually happen. <laughs> yeah, I just think you got to stay even keel. I think, um, you know, the Eagles went from having, you know, just trading up to get the second overall pick in Carson Wentz to winning a Super Bowl two years later. There was no expectations for this team in, like, the last three years. They ended up winning. I think the fact that the fan base was very relaxed and didn't have high hopes. I feel like when you have high hopes in sports, you get your heart broken. But I think the, the Lions have the right pieces. I just think they need to be patient. But they, you know, 
the hard thing for me to say is they play in probably one of the toughest divisions in the NFL. So I, I can't sit here and say your time's coming because I don't think it is. But I think you just got to be patient and, uh, and just hope that you get a, 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 the right pick in the right draft and um, a couple of pieces fall at the right time. Uh, you know, obviously, being an American, you follow all the other sports. I mean, big Phillies fan as well, 76ers, or do you, you have you branched out a little bit? So for me, I used to be all in Philadelphia, everything. But once I got into pro hockey and played so many big rivalry games against the Flyers and, and seen the fans in some of those games, I've, I've moved away from being a Flyers fan, and I'm still a diehard Eagles, Sixers, and Phillies fan. So um, I definitely root for all those teams. Um, I'm all in on the process with the Sixers, and uh, we're in a huge rebuild with the Phillies right now. And, of course, the Eagles had uh, the whole family crying a few mo a month ago. So definitely still involved with Philly sports, but kind of uh, moved away from the Flyers. You know, the one thing that I, that I learned when, when I got to college, and there were so many people from the East Coast that, that uh, attended the University of Michigan, um, is that college athletics, unless they were kind of college fans or they, like they had family that, that had gone to Michigan or something, played at a school that had a reputation that, is college athletics, were you gravitated to college athletics at all? Or because I always look at, at New York and Philly and I mean, not so maybe even Boston, maybe because there aren't like big powerhouse college teams in, in those areas in, in certain sports like football mostly. But I mean, it, it just seems to be a little bit different dynamic. I mean, as far as they're all pro, you get out to the Detroit and Chicago and there is a huge, you know, Michigan and Michigan State might as well be pro teams, you know. So, I mean, what's that kind of like for you? Did you have a college team, I guess is what I'm trying to ask. Yeah, I didn't really develop a college favorite until, obviously, my, my wife, I met my wife uh, my first year pro and she went to Penn State. But before that, um, you know, growing up in Philadelphia, you have Temple, you didn't really right. have the Villanova you have today right. in basketball. So there wasn't. Uh, a huge influence for me for college sports and I always tell people now if Penn State had the Division One hockey team when I was growing up I would have went to Penn State and played Division One hockey that would have been done for sure that's probably would have been my path but there was no real Division One hockey as a hockey fan right and, um, nothing in your backyard that you could get excited for for college so I think a lot of people from my area just got excited for who was you know, uh, there's a ton of Notre Dame fans in Philadelphia. I don't why I don't know why. Maybe must just be a lot Irish, of Catholics. Be a lot of Irish Catholics. So <laughs> right, I think right. that more people gravitate for the demographics of a school versus a team because there wasn't a huge influence in Philadelphia. Really, and, you know. It, well, you know, let's get back to your career. I'm just I was just kind of interested in that because I've always felt you know East Coast pro centric. You get out to the Midwest, they're pro fans, but they're also into colleges pretty heavy uh, in this area. You know, obviously maybe the Big Ten or whatever, uh, MAC, you know, there's several good conferences out this way. And, and obviously Notre Dame being in Indiana. Um, so you're in Pittsburgh, you think things are going well, you get traded again. Uh, each time you're traded, are you disappointed or do you look at it as a, 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 a new opportunity? I know I've kind of asked you this already, but you've... You know, you keep getting traded, so when a guy gets traded like that, I mean, I'm looking at you at 6'4", you're always putting up some pretty good numbers, so someone, it's more that other teams want you than it is this guy's, you know, like a troublemaker and not good in the room or something. Yeah, I think the, the trade from Pittsburgh hurt the most. Um, for me, I'm not going to sit here and say that I got treated unfairly in Pittsburgh or wherever I was. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't confident enough, I wasn't mentally strong enough to be the type of player I needed to be at the time in Pittsburgh. I, I was 
the top prospect. There was so much pressure on me to step in, be Sidney Crosby's linemate, expected to score 20, 30 goals at 21, 22 years old. And uh, I think I beat myself up way too much. I put up those numbers, average numbers, every year in Wilkesbury. The projections were high for me to, to be that scorer they needed in Pittsburgh. And for some reason, uh, it felt like when I got to Pittsburgh, if I made a mistake, it was right back to the fourth line. And instead of you know, treating that as a challenge, I let it beat me up, eat me away, and it, it really ruined my confidence. I, I went into Pittsburgh um, feeling like my game was unreal and left almost like there was more holes than I ever thought I had. You know, at that time when your confidence is shaken, um, does Crosby, does the coach, does a teammate, does somebody say, look, Eric, calm down. Just, you know, you're a player. You've got the skill. You just have to, for lack of a better term, calm yourself down and just play. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, um, you know, the NHL life is totally different than junior, totally different than the AHL. When guys leave the rink, they leave. You know, you don't see a lot of people outside of the rink. And um, I didn't have that support system. I didn't have somebody I could lean to. And it was really hard, you know, going back to a hotel room at 21 years old, um, at times just turning the lights off and watching a movie because you're so upset with how things were going. And um, kind of get sidetracked to that. At 29 now and being a part of this organization for three years, that's that's something that I've tried to impact this locker room the most. Right. I've seen guys in this locker room, the Manthas, the Athanasiu, Bertuzzi, those have been guys that I've seen at times have such high expectations and struggle here and I, f I take pride in I was the first guy to go over to them and make sure that you know they got their confidence back, they were playing the right way and uh, um, hopefully I left a lasting impression on them that helped them move on to the next level. Because those are all guys I played with down here when you know, they were trying to get them out of funks or put, put them on my wing, and I gave them the guidance that I wish I had when I was young. You know, I, want, I want to explore that, but you, know, you said something that really struck a chord with me. Um, years ago I wrote a book about Michigan's football team called What It Means to Be a Wolverine. I've also written a, What It Means to Be a Red Wing. But um, I talked to Drew Henson who was quarterback for Michigan. I mean, the guy quarterback for the for Michigan, quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, Yankee first-round draft pick, played for the New York Yankees, and he was in Dallas, and I was interviewing for him for the book, and he said something that you just said. He said, you know, I've always been part of a team my whole life, and now that I'm a pro and I'm in the NFL, I'm with the Dallas Cowboys, I essentially go to work, do my stuff and come home, and now I'm all by myself in my apartment in Dallas. I don't have the camaraderie that I've had all the way up here. Um, is it because it's competitive, or it's because you're getting older and you have you're getting married, you have kids, it's responsibilities? Why, you know, that's you know, it, it struck me. It, it struck me to this day, and then you just kind of reinforced it with me. I'm sitting here thinking, my gosh. Uh, you know, you would think that this is, it's a professional team. You guys are like, all right, man, let's go, you know, band of brothers. Mm, but really, you're a band of brothers when you're on the ice, but after you're not on the ice, you have your lives to lead. I mean, it's, 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 it's how difficult of an adjustment is that? It, it's crazy. I, it's so hard to put into words. You know, you play junior hockey and you literally go to the rink, you skate with the guys, you go to lunch with the guys, you go back, play video games, cards with the guys, right. and then you're there all day every day you get to pro you kind of said it a lot of guys have families wives kids there's a lot more going on in your life than when you were you know 18 19 20 21 and, 
Um, I just, I don't know what it is. I think we do a good job in Grand Rapids. It's such a small community that a lot of guys live in the same building, go to lunch every day. But there are a lot of places where you come to the rink, you go to work. And yeah, when you're on the ice, you are a band of brothers. But when you leave, it's, you're on your separate lives. And, that, and it's hard when you're young if you don't realize that, that people do care about you, but also people move on and live their lives outside of the rink too. You know, the one thing I always find is that you always see with maybe a, a, a veteran player takes a younger guy and says, come live in my house or something like that. I mean, I, I, I think that that probably, I, I can't, it makes sense to me now why, why maybe a veteran player, even though his wife might say, well, yeah, I don't want a 21-year-old kid in this place, you know? I mean, geez. But it makes sense maybe why, why a veteran would do that. You know, in, in a way, I'm not saying that, you know, you have like a boarding house, you know, you and your wife and everything here in Grand yeah. Rapids, but you just said it. Athens see you, you know, Mantha. These are guys that have a lot of a, a lot of pressure on them. Uh, people look at them and think, you know, Tyler Bertuzzi, whomever. That you know, look, they're they're, they're the next wave of the of the red and white. Um, you've seen it, so you go over there. Isn't but you're an alternate captain, but you're a leader. Isn't that what a leader should do? I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, but I, at the same time, I. I all through my pro career, I never had somebody as a young player that took me under their wing. And, um, you know, really, I think it's definitely more competitive in the AHL with that kind of stuff. Really? Guys, um, you know, obviously they're your teammates, but it's competitive. Who's getting called up? Who's got these right, stats? Right, right, because there's, there's, there's still that next yeah, level, the NHL. Yeah. So right. I, I, like I said, I take a lot of pride in knowing, like, I still think I can play in the NHL, but I'm going to do things that can help guys who are in the same position as me because I wish I had that opportunity. I wish somebody took me under their wing. So um, it's it's hard. You just get, you got to go up to those guys and, and and tell them to just put the noise aside. There's only certain things in pro that you can control, and what those guys can control is their effort and their performance on the ice and how hard they work in the gym and that kind of stuff. What, has there been a constant sounding board, whether it's your your father or your wife or? Your former coach, or or even a, some player, maybe Bolesky. I, I I'm not sure, but I I'm just trying to say, or or really, did Eric Tangrady had to figure this kind of all on, on his own? Yeah, I, I did, and, and it's so easy to to wish you could go back in the past and have regrets. But if if my mind was where it is now when I was 21 years old, I, I think I'd have a long lasting successful NHL career. But I don't lose a second of sleep over that. Um, you know. Three years ago, four, probably four or five years ago, I got a sports psychologist. That was, it, that was the weakest part of my game. I worked my butt off in the gym. I, when I was on, I was an NHL player every night on the ice. But what was missing was my mind was weak. I couldn't keep my mind um, focused on the little things that needed to, or that I needed to be successful. And once I got that sports psychologist, it totally flipped. Um, the type of player that I am, and I think I've had my best numbers pro as a Griffin because of how strong my mind is, and including that with all the other aspects of my game. I mean, can, can you elaborate a little bit on it? Is it because you say your mind is weak? Is that because you just lack confidence, or you just got down on yourself too much, figuring, all right, I haven't scored a goal in five games, I may never score a goal again? Or is that kind of mindset, or is it just, geez, Eric, what the heck is going on with you? I mean, I, I don't know, I know yeah. this is a real personal question, but I, I'm just kind of. You know, because it eventually turned around, but what were you constantly doing at every stop you've made that you were really hurting yourself? Yeah, in my time in Wilkesbury, I, I felt like 
I deserved an opportunity. I was in the, I think I played over 100 games at Wilkes-Barre. At times I thought I should be called up and I should be in the NHL, and there was so much noise, whether it was me comparing my stats to guys on other teams who were drafted in the second round. Oh, they have this many goals, I have that many goals. Why are they playing in the NHL? I'm not. There's so many things when you're young that are petty that you do comparing yourself to other people and opportunities that other people are getting. And you can't control what other people do. The only thing I could control was me. And it took me four or five years of pro to hold myself accountable every single day to, to know that I just need to focus on Eric Tangrady and then things will happen for me. And that's that's the biggest area that I struggle with the noise of, um, you know, being in Wilkesbury and putting up numbers and not getting called up and not knowing, you know, blaming it on somebody else instead of being accountable and, and holding and holding myself to a higher standard. Wow. Uh, we could jump, we can go to every stop, but how do you end up with the Detroit organization? So I was with Winnipeg, um, learned a valuable lesson in Winnipeg. For me to be an NHLer, I needed to excel. I, I was told by a coach before I got put on waivers that I did everything good, but I didn't do anything great. And that, that really st stuck with me, and I got put on waivers um, with Winnipeg, did my thing with Montreal, whatever. Wasn't a complete player, but once I was told I needed to do something great, I looked in the mirror and decided, you know, I'm going to be a power forward. I'm going to be in your face first and let everything else go from there. So going into free, first time ever being a free agent at 26 years old, um, it was a summer where Detroit signed me, but July 1st came and I expected the phone to be off the hook for my agent. And it was quiet. There were no calls. And I looked at myself for a week straight with my wife and it was the lowest point in my career. Um, didn't know what the op if I'd ever play in the NHL ever again. And, and sure enough, Detroit called about a week later and said, hey, um, we'll be willing to take a risk on Eric. Um, it's not going to be for a ton of money, but it's something he's willing to do. And I took that risk and um, came into the Detroit organization the hungriest I've ever been in my career. Had a mindset that I'm just going to you know, look myself in the eye every single day and I'm going to play a certain way and see where it gets me. And sure enough, the last three years I've you know, had some some really good, uh, I've been very consistent here, played a game for the Red Wings, won a Calder Cup, um, had some of the best stats in my career, and finally put all the pieces together. And, you know, this organization's been, been great to me because they took a chance on me, but I still feel like I have a whole lot more to give, and NHL included. Well, Grand Rapids, it's a very nice city. It's a good place to play. Um, it's changed significantly from, you know, when I used to visit it 20, 30-odd years ago. Um, but you're part of the Red Wing organization. The Red Wing organization prides itself on whether you're a Red Wing Griffin or even a Walleye. Uh, there's a system that we play. There, you know, you're, you're part of the organization. Do you get that feel? Do you really know that... You know, they don't look at, like, you know, the AHL or even the ECHL as, you know, okay, this is like a dumping ground for, because we got to field the team. You know what I mean? There, there, there does seem to be a system, and there does seem to be opportunity for everyone here. Yeah, definitely. And the biggest thing that stood out to me, my first training camp, is um, a lot of teams, I'm not going to name the teams, there's a country club feel from the NHL right. team to the AHL team to the East Coast team. There's some guys that are very standoffish. And the second I walked into the Detroit locker room, my first year here, even just to skate in the summer, everyone introduced themselves, everyone shook my hand, and still to this day when I go to camp, how's your family, how's your wife, how, you know, how's everybody doing? It it's, it really is that true family feel in Detroit. Every single player 
you know, ha knows everyone's name, and there's no there's no favorites, there's no groups. Everyone is a Detroit Red Wing, regardless if you're a Griffin or a Walleye. And um, systematically, what you were touching on, it, it is very similar. They want to make the the jump seamless for guys if they're going to go from the East Coast to Grand Rapids. They look at Martin Furk, he played for right. Toledo, then for Grand Rapids, then for Detroit. And I'm sure for him, not a whole lot has changed. Right. Well, he was put on waivers, it was in Carolina, and came back. Yeah, right. I mean, totally. So I think it's very, um, like you said, it all the way up the chain, they try to make things, um, the culture is to win, and work ethic is important, and systematically everything follows with that. When you look, I have to ask you this because Daniel Cleary told me this when he was on, on, on the Red and White Authority in Pittsburgh, by the way, um, during the preseason. I, 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 he's told me that Martin Furk, by far, without question, has the hardest shot he's ever seen. And, you know, Cleary's been around, obviously, so he's seen a lot of hard shots. You know, Furk's a Griffin, you're a Griffin, you're at practice, and he decides he's going to wind up and take a slap shot. Do you block it or do you just skate away? I mean, is it that hard? It is that hard. And as the net front guy on the power play, I spent a lot of time with him zoning in on that slap shot at the top of the circles. And um, the first few times I just closed my eyes and prayed, but then I learned from that point on that you got to be dialed in because it is very, very hard shot, and I've seen it break, break bones. Can you see it? I mean, do you know where to go or do you just think? Is it, you know, no no pun intended, a wing and a prayer here? I mean, I know it's coming my way. I just hope to God it doesn't hit me in a bad spot. Yeah. Um, can you play, tip your stick? I mean, yeah, play, it, for me, playing at the net front for so many years, um, it's almost like a pitcher throwing 100 miles an hour. Certain yeah. guys can, can get an eye on it. So I, I've been able to kind of pick it up off his blade. It took me probably a half a season to pick wow. up how it was going to come off his blade. But towards, uh, you know, last year I was able to really – dial in on how it would come off his stick and at that point you just got to trust that he's picking a spot and you hope it doesn't hit you and um, sometimes it did and sometimes it didn't but he can definitely wire the puck yeah it's uh, you know he we have a that we we joke with him that he's going to break the glass at little caesars <laughs> once in a while and he says he doesn't want to because because he has he, he did it three times last summer i guess when he was when he was back home uh, that you know, that that means the shots off net, but uh, uh, it, it is extraordinary. I mean, he he really does fire it, and uh, uh, I, I wanted to ask you. You know, you've been around, as you said. You you know, in the beginning, you said I consider myself a journeyman. Uh, you've seemed to have found a home here in Grand Rapids. This team likes you. You're one of the team leaders. You're championship level team here. Uh, you know, Detroit is going through a phase here where. You know, I, I think they would admit probably in the next three, four years, there's going to be a, kind of almost a revolving door. They're going to want to get players in there that are, you know, going to be able to perform at the NHL level. How do you feel comfortable here? Do you want this to be your last stop, whether or not the last stop is in the red and white? I mean, as you said, you're getting a little older now. Where is your mindset at? Because... You know, it's pretty cool that you're taking these younger Red Wings, guys that you're competing with for jobs in Detroit, and making sure that when they're here in Grand Rapids, they don't do maybe some of the mistakes or have the mindset that you made, which, you know, really is a testament to your character. Yeah, for me, um, I love Grand Rapids, love the organization, the tradition of the Red Wings, their fans travel, for Griffins fans travel, Red Wings fans travel, it's been great. Um, I have no complaints about my time here. It's really been 
it's been a place where I've been able to get my game back on track. I really am proud of what I am today. Um, the biggest thing for me is, you know, at 29 years old, time's kind of ticking for right, me. Right, right, right. Um, I still believe I can play in the NHL and I can play well. I think my resume hurts me playing 144 games and putting up limited numbers. But right. for me, I'm ten times the player I was now than when I used when I was playing those 144 games. So I just need an opportunity to show that. Um, so for me, I played one game in three years here. Of course, I love Grand Rapids. My wife, one game for the Red Wings. Red Wings right. One game for the Red Wings. But I, I feel like I have a lot more to give, and I, I come to the rink every day here never satisfied. I, I, I look at myself in the mirror, and I'm looking for my road back to the NHL. For me, if I wanted to give up on the NHL, I'd go to Europe and make a bunch of money and kind of be a lot easier on my body. But I'm still grinding the American Hockey League. I'm riding the bus every day because I want to play in the NHL. So for me, I don't think I'll ever be satisfied, you know, just being an AHL hockey player. So um, if a, I'd love to stay here for the rest of my career, hopefully to get an opportunity to play with the Red Wings. But if I have to, you know, look somewhere else to get that great opportunity, I may, I may have to. I don't know. When you, when you look at it and, and you want to play and you get the call up from Detroit one game. I mean, I remember the game that you played. I mean, I you know I think Mickey Mickey Redmond, uh, the announcers were you know again it goes right back to your size you know, the, you know it's like wow this guy you know has has a, a, an opportunity so you want to play Red Wings know you want to play what recourse do you have except to go out and do what you've been doing putting up numbers and winning championships at the AHL level which I think now I think everybody in the world knows that the American Hockey League is the second best league in the world. So, I mean, you're so close, you know, to, to, to really where you want to be. Do you talk to Ryan Martin? Do you talk to ne uh, Todd Nelson? Uh, is, there, is there an avenue for you, or is it just playing and, I mean, because they know you want to be there. They know you want to put the winged wheel on. What recourse do you have? Yeah, I think it's all, all of the above. Um, uh, I know last year, my first year here, I had 28 goals, put up a lot of points, played the one game, and I went into the summer I re-signed with the Red Wings for two years because I thought, you know, I could fit in with the Red Wings and it'd be, they needed a player like me. And I just remember I struggled at times last year in Grand Rapids because I pictured myself as a fourth-line guy in the Red Wings, so I played a meatier game, a less skilled game here to try and showcase what I could be for them. And right. my numbers weren't nearly where they should have been in the American Hockey League. And I remember at Christmas changing my game a little bit in the sense of, um, playing with a little bit more skill. Um, obviously, I was never going to be a top six winger in, for the Detroit Red Wings, but I'm a top six winger down here. So finding that healthy balance, I was able to find that at the end of the season and, and put up really good numbers after the Christmas uh, after Christmas break. And this year, uh, I've done those the same thing with with my numbers, just playing a skill game, but also knowing that I have to play in your face and finish checks. So. Um, I think going through Ryan, going through Nelly, they're very good with communicating and, and letting me know that when we're looking for somebody that we need to be in your face um, and, and play those hard minutes, you're going to be our guy. And then, fortunately, that that hasn't that call hasn't come yet. And uh, for me, I don't I don't expect I, I'm not a prospect anymore. I'm 29 years old. I don't expect a handout call out anymore. I just know that I have to keep producing and keep playing the right way, and hopefully the call will come. When you um. Next recourse, are you in the last year of your deal? I am. So now I would imagine July 1st is, you know, I guess all the contracts expire or something or everyone's, you're going to be then what, an unrestricted free agent again? 
Um, are you hoping to work something out with the Red Wing organization or if they come to you? This is tough for me to say because I think we've bonded. I really enjoy your, this conversation. I, you know, I, I really, uh, yeah, I'm rooting for you. Um, they say, look, Eric, if you think you have a better opportunity to make the NHL than another team, we suggest you take that. I mean, but you've had hard conversations before. Where's your mindset right now? Or are you thinking, you know, look, the Red Wings are going through, are going to be going through this rebuild here. I still think maybe I do have a better chance with Detroit than I do anywhere else. Or you haven't even checked that landscape. Honestly, yet. my first choice is to, to sign here. I would love to come back here. I'd love to finish my career here. But uh, at the same time, I, I, I watch some games and I feel like I can provide things for that team that may be missing. So, um, I, of course, I want an opportunity with Red Wings. I want, like I said, you uh, NHL right. was my focus. So, um, that's that's a priority for me is to try to get back to the NHL. And like you said, the first team I would like that to be with is the Detroit Red Wings organization, and hopefully that all works out. You know, I wanted to ask you a couple of things just about some of your teammates that Red Wing fans have their eyes on. You know, obviously. Uh, you know, Mantha finally is 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 there to stay. I would assume with you know putting up four points last night against uh, uh, against the Bruins, leading the team in scoring. You know we you know we call him Big Tony. I don't think he likes it, but we do anyway. <laughs> uh, but you know he he seems to get it. Athens CU is is interesting. You know, it seems to have all the talent in the world. People because he's five foot eight are big Hicketts fans. Uh, are there some players besides yourself? And we know that you want to be there that have stood out to you that you look at and, and think that maybe somewhere down the road, you know, along with yourself, as I said, they could be Red Wings. Yeah, we have a, we have a, a lot of guys. That's why we won a Calder Cup. That's right, why right. we are so good. We have a lot we, of guys. You know, I don't mean to interrupt you because Wing fans, because you win the Calder Cup, they expect Griffins to be in Detroit. Yeah, and it's, it's, a, it's a process. I think, you know, you look at Svetch, he's got some of the best raw skill I've ever seen at his age. He can skate, he's strong, he can... Uh, he can shoot the puck. So for me, I look at him, he had 20 goals, 50 points last year, and he struggled this year. But that is something that is going to make him a way better Red Wing down the road than him having another 50-point season. Um, I think last year we were so good. He was playing on the third line, getting against third, you know, AHL defensemen's pairings. It, it was a lot more favorable. Where this year he's getting some of the top defensemen playing on our top line some nights. Um, I can see him being an exceptional Red Wing, and I'm trying to help him right now because he's going through the same right. stuff that I went through. He's a top prospect in Detroit. He's expected to be there right now, and he struggled. But for him, when he's not overthinking the game and he's just playing the game that's in front of him, he's just so effective. And I think the last few weeks you've seen him really, really excel, and he's a guy that I think can um, – just because the Red Wings are struggling, he's not going to make an impact tomorrow. But down the road, he's going to be uh, a star. Evgeny Shvechnikov yeah. and his brother Andre, who wants to play with him. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe the Red Wings can, can draft him. I mean, that, that's an interesting case. You know, a guy like like like, like Joe Hicketts, who I, I think his size alone, people are intrigued by that. I mean, you've played with him. You, you guys, you guys are kind of the Mutton Jeff here of uh, maybe of the team, along with McElrath, who's a gigantic man as well. Yeah. But. Uh, you know, tough road for him uh, just because he has to really stand out because his size is working against him. Yeah, I mean, I always compare Joe like it's a weird comparison, but people are shocked that Vegas is so good. But if you, you piss enough NHL players off and put them on one team, they're going to play inspired. Right. And I think that's something you see every day with Joe is uh, he's got doubters and his whole life have doubted him because of his size, and he plays an inspired game. He plays puts a jersey on every day. 
and he treats every player on the other team like they called him small. He he plays pissed off. He plays in your face because right. he's got something to prove every single night. And like any athletes, if you give them something in their belly, in their heart, to prove to you every single night, and they have that drive, they're going to be exceptional. And I think that's what you see with Joe. You know, I, I, Eric, I could go on for a long, long time. There's so many questions and things that I want to talk to you about, but I promised everybody I would only go an hour with you guys today. So, so, um, uh, but, but I, I guess. I want to ask you about the Griffins. You, 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 I don't know if it's called or cup hangover or whatever, but you guys started off slowly. You've been on a tear. I know last weekend kind of stubbed your toe a little bit, but it looks like that this team is starting to hit its stride. I know you're in second place. I think you're going to make the playoffs and you know defend the, the, the Calder t- Cup title. Where do you think your team is at right now? We're in a good place. Um, I think when we're playing the game fast, um, we're, we're not playing to our opponent's level. We're playing our style right off the bat. That's when we're most effective. And um, I think up until Christmas break, we definitely underachieved. But everyone went home, um, got their mind refreshed, re-energized. And we came back with a, a mentality of, you know, we're, we're the previous year's champion, but no one's going to hand us anything. No one cares what we did last year. It's a matter of we have to prove it. It's going to be harder this year because every time someone comes in this building, they see the banner and we're going to get their best game. Right. So I think we've had to play playoff hockey for the last two months, and that's made us better. And if we do get in the playoffs, that's a scary recipe to have a team playing playoff hockey for four months coming up into into the playoffs. Well, you know, I wish uh, you personal success. I wish the Griffin success. Uh, Eric Tangrady, um, alternate captain for for, for the uh, Grand Rapids Griffins. Philadelphia, born and bred. Second player ever from Philadelphia to be in the <laughs> NHL, play in the NHL. Uh, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I, I hope very, very soon to see you up in Detroit in the red and white and uh, uh, representing my hometown, uh, the city of Detroit. Thank you, Eric. Really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you. I had a lot of fun.